Now, you can have Jesus in your heart, but you still got your granddaddy in your bone. And really, you know, I was saved from the streets, but the streets were still inside me. In addition, I wanted to save a people, a group of men, you know, from this journey, but yet I myself hadn't been saved yet. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit, because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology, or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Before we start the show, I have something to share with you. If you or someone close to you is suffering from a sense of anxiety or loneliness, the truth is anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness affecting 40 million adults in the United States every year alone. And according to a recent study, more than 60% of Americans report feeling lonely, left out, poorly understood and lacking companionship. This matters a lot because loneliness is stressful enough to raise all cause mortality by up to 30%. So I've written a free guide with 10 ways you can start to overcome anxiety and defeat your loneliness. Don't wait on positive emotions. Learn how to create them for yourself starting right now. You can grab the guide by heading over to drmartinfletcher.com. That's doctor spelled drmartinfletcher.com. I'm Dr. Martin Fletcher, and I am the shrink of the Shepherd and Shrink podcast, and I've been looking real forward to this next guest here, Mario Bueno, author and founder of Luck and Transformational Training. Amazing story. I want to get right into it. Mario, welcome. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, Dr. Marty. Yeah, man. You, you can call me that. You call me Marty, whatever, man. It's, it's informal with me. Hey, let's just... People who haven't read your book or, or, or know of you, introduce yourself. Tell this amazing story. Yeah, well, it's, I like to give credit to God. You know? it's a, he, he can take a mess and turn it into a messenger. So you know, from the age of 16 to 36, unfortunately, I served in 16 different adult prisons, kicked out of nine of them. Three years solitary confinement before the age of 22. I've been home exactly seven years, January 22nd of this past month. So seven years of that day. I find myself blessed and humbled, three-time author, wrapping up my master's degree from University of Michigan, which was the school that initially denied me because of my parole status. And just before COVID, I was blessed and fortunate to have filled in for my mentor and current you know, contractor, I'm contracted in several different ways, Aaron Kinzel, Professor Kinzel. He recruited me to the University of Michigan. And you know, your greatest mentors will always see greater in you than you can see in yourself. So I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up my master's degree in criminology and criminal justice with a concentration in, in criminal administration because my undergraduate is from Wayne State University, which, you know, I'm a, I'm a full-blown warrior, you know. Mario, we're both Wolverines. You got okay, yeah. to represent. So, you know, Wayne State gave me opportunity to get my undergrad in accounting when I first came home. And that really gave me the platform to be able to do what I'm doing now. So I'm, I'm you know, in my inscription in my graduation ring for for my business degree from Wayne State. It's Romans 8.28. And Romans 8.28 is, and we know that all things happen for the good, for those who love God and are calling to his purpose. But you know, the, the reason why I got it engraved in that ring was because I always wanted to go to U of M. Right? Is that right? 
and I applied for social work. So I'm not even, I didn't want to, you know, beat up this social, but thank God I didn't get accepted. I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but my point is, at every time I was denied, I had, I had to adopt a paradigm and a belief system of all things happen for the good. Yes. That's the trick. It's easy. Like, we already know what to say when God says yes. The trick is to say, like, what do you do when God says, the God is, you know, the source, the universe. What do you do when the universe says no? <laughs> you keep going. Right. Oh, I mean, I can't wait to get into this, but like, like, I don't want to focus. The best part of the story is what happened, you know, after, but what were you charged with and, and convicted of? Uh, angry youth is not, you know, you know, I don't, I, I fundamentally believe, you know, I wasn't born a, a killer, right? So forgive the, the title, you know, reform memoir of a juvenile killer, right? Right on. Right. I, I fundamentally believe that as the social sciences so so eloquently articulate that, for example, B.F. Skinner said that genetics loads the gun and the, the environment pulls the trigger. Yeah, right on. Right? No, you know, no pun intended. But unfortunately, by 11, 12, I did start hustling. I did have my sister's older boyfriends taking me to school and my lunch. And, and guess what? They were they were the men on the block. They were, they were hustling, right? So, so you know, you become like the ones you're around the most. Right on. And so I started hustling, but unfortunately, by 15, 16, and I'm and I'm not blaming TV, but guess what? Media. Yeah. It's, it's it's odd. I was I've been studying lately the Interlinear Bible, which has English and Hebrew and Greek, and it talks about how you know the uh, the fallen one is the prince of the air. And if you notice, like media. Like, yeah. like, like, look how we were sending messages through the air. Think about this radio wave. He's the prince of the air. So at that time, I'm sitting there watching like uh, Menace to Society, New Jack City. We're talking about 90, 1991, 92, 93. Yep. And we're, we're, we're gang involved. And by 16, I, I adopt a paradigm, a belief system that says, first and foremost, of course, culture of honor, blood for blood, but that's that, that, that actually believed it was okay to rob and hurt drugs. Right. So Mario, you said something really caught my attention. You said I wasn't born this way. Would you read the first full paragraph on page three? Because this almost brought tears to my eyes. I mean, I really felt just so much compassion, but th this will explain, I think, so much about where you came from. So, and you did ask me, what was I charged with? So leading to that, I was charged with felony murder on robbery. As a child. During, at 16 of a 26-year-old man. 16 is a child. I, I know because I've ha I had them oh, yeah, and have them. Absolutely. I, I thought it all not behaved as a child, but as a grown man, I'm trying to make up for those child. You're done. You're clean. I know. I read your book. You're clean. Oh, yeah. That's but under the sea. Well, every day I live, I live as if I'm not. So I continuously try to make up for something that honestly I can never make. I can never bring Samuel, my victim, back. Never. That, but that's the Christian path, but I'm not going to, pre you're preaching, not me. So, so. Well, no, 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 not necessarily Christian. It's more of uh, there's certain things that, for example, this, the bitter seed of taking a life, you'll, you'll eat off that fruit for the rest of your life. You know how, Marty? Tell. I can't even, I can't even become an Uber driver. That's how. Okay, I got you. I can't even work at Costco, Marty. That's how. Yeah. I'm contracted in several different ways because I can't get a job, Marty. That's how. Right that's, that's, uh, Yeah, we could talk metaphysically. and Yeah, we could talk spirit. Yo, you're forgiven. No, but, but society doesn't say that. I know. that, But I think that's a curse. You're going to tell us in this podcast how to carry our cross. Uh, that, and, and the other thing I'm going to say, real, you see the Bible and the Bible, the scriptures enchant your world. Like what you said about the radio waves, that's how we were supposed to read this. We're not, so, it's more than just literal. It's real, well, it's real man. It's real. Right on, man. And yeah, God's hands all over your work. On day four, you know, I challenged God to save. But we can get to that part too. I think it's in this book. 
so mind you now, so I'm talking about here, I think at age three, is that what you're talking about? This, yeah, yeah, I'm telling my dad, right? Daddy. Right dad. on it, yeah, because this crystallizes it. I'm actually three years old, three and a half years old right here. I remember. Oh, and so after this book was printed, like I don't think my father read past page 10. <laughs> it hurt. Well, he said, son, you act as if I'm a woman beater. And I looked at him, I said, father, you beat the only woman I love, my mom. I said, isn't that enough? But they, they fought each other. I said, Father, I'm reflecting that of a three and a half year old. So I'm going to start reading here. Quote, it says, Daddy, Daddy, no, get off, get off of Mommy. Daddy, no. I screamed as I punched his buttocks in an attempt to save her. To my horror, I watched him hold her down as she broke through the glass of my secondary bedroom window. They were fighting, and she broke through the glass over my desk. I still remember this. Thankfully, he didn't push her all the way through, though he could have. At the time, I didn't know if my mom was hurt or not. But in the middle of my sobbing and yelling, he stopped and looked down at me. His angry face turned sad with the realization that he was not just hitting his wife, but also his three-year-old son who felt every blow in his tiny, gentle spirit. He dropped his hands and walked away, his head down in shame. I stared at my mommy as she cried. Take that in. I mean, that, that paints a deeply, deeply poignant and just painful kind of scene. I mean, my heart went out to that. That, that three and a half year old, that explains so much about the path, your little brain in that environment and trying to learn what world you're in. And this is my world. Yeah, you know, I, I've done a, a lot of study and a lot of work and we do a lot of work with trauma. Now. I'm actually being trained right now to be a peer support specialist. And, you know, trauma at an early age actually alters the very chemical makeup of your brain. Right on. It changes the way you handle, like high degrees of, and, and that's why, you know, my daughter, is, is probably the biggest influencer in my transformation today, in the past few years and today period. Say more about that. I mean, I'm really interested in that. So, yeah, well, you know, realizing that high degrees of stress at an early age will forever shape the way you respond to stress. So like, like my wife and I, for example, my, my wife is phenomenal. <laughs> and I'm just learning that now, obviously. Like, like you, you can only see in others what exists in yourself. And so after 20 years in prison and coming home, I had a lot of trauma and pain. And that, that affects the way you look at others in the world around you. Right. You know? so, so she's been able to adjust and adapt. But one of the things that we teach my daughter, who unfortunately has witnessed, she's, she's had witnessed some stress, not ever me raising my hand. It'd be more like the other way around. <laughs> <I'm joking. laughs> you run. You're faster. <laughs> but honestly, like, I have responded in ways that, like, I'm not proud of, and I don't, these are, you know, I was listening to a sermon today, it says, before you do something, think about whether you'll enjoy that memory. Mm, I like that. Live like that, There's right? There's some things that I don't, I don't like remembering, and how I responded to the chat, like, the challenges of a relationship with a woman, like, 20 years in combat, and then you come home, you, your most important relationship is with yourself. Right. That's life in general, right? That's life in general. So, so with this little part right here, and my daughter, we're teaching her, for example, number one, we're teaching not to treat each other, the, you know, in certain ways in front of our daughter, learning to talk about things in certain, you know, outside of my daughter's presence. But in addition, teaching my daughter how to breathe deeply when she starts having her panic attacks and screaming, mm -hmm. like, count, calm down, breathe. And so, well, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of different things. And, and, I, and I'll be honest with you, you know, every generation, the onus is upon them to take what they get. Like in the streets, they say, take what you get and flip it. 
right? You got to flip what you get. Well, for example, like your Dr. Marty Fletcher, I'm, I'm sure you've taken what your parents have given you in your environment. You flipped it. It's, it's, the, it's the parable of the coins. Yes. The one and the three and the five. The guy who buried them and said, oh, well, I know you're a, a hard king, got his head chopped off and, and, and they split the coin, the one that took the three and the five and they made money off it. Well, you know, unfortunately, my parents, they bailed out when I was three and a half on each other. And, and guess what? When you sign up, <laughs> it's a commitment. It's not a feeling. Trust me, it, there's days you don't feel like coming home. <laughs> there's days that you feel yeah, like yeah. sleeping right in the driveway like I have before. My point is this, though. My daughter's going on fine. So I, I have already surpassed that of my, my parents. Yes. That's how I look at it. And I look and I say, you know what? Not on my watch. Not on my watch. It's, gotcha. it's not going to happen to my daughter. Not on my watch. And that watch is very transient. It's, it's very temporal. Yeah, yeah, I love what you're saying because it's 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 segueing into what I want to talk about with masculinity because you really are on that channel and hard. There's <laughs> right a false on. masculine. Right. And then listen, you out there, man, what I got out of this book and because I, I could have really put it down is God's hands are all over Mario's work. And and Mario, this book is full. Of, it talks about prison, which is interesting to everyone. Right. Because it's so just. Oh, I don't know the word redemption in the book and also your spiritual journey, because you don't go, oh, I just cried out to God and then everything was okay. You take us right through the ups and downs of a spiritual life and practice and putting the kingdom before earthly rewards. You, you're onto all that stuff. And so as far as masculinity, on page 95, that last paragraph on page starts at page 95 and goes to 96 in, in most traditions, yeah it starts with that you can read that part too but i really liked where you start in the in most traditional cultures but set it up however you want to mario yeah so you know I, I, this has been four years since i've read this book you know i stopped the print and i have all the files i have all the original files i, I didn't tell you the story but we'll get into that but sure but that company that ceo eventually came to me and i told them the vision god had they wanted me to do a whole series with the guys who transformed me because they got phenomenal stories too okay and they want to have a whole series of reform series. And I told them, I said, that's not what God showed me. And I said, look, I'm doing it out of my pocket. And I'm doing what God showed me. Yes. He says, okay, Mario, we can do that. A month later, I'm working for the city of Detroit at the time, which I resigned. And we'll talk about that too. But I, he says, a month later, I get an email saying, look, <laughs> your contract's being cut. You got to pay for everything that's being done now. I said, what? They said, we'll be happy to do everything you want to with that God stuff. You know, you can pay us and we'll do it. I said, no. I said, don't even worry about it. Three months later, the CEO got fired. I don't know why. Three months after that, a representative came to give me all my files because they said I owed them money. Give me all my files because the company went bankrupt. Mm. Real story. Real talk. Wow. So it lands right back in your possession. <laughs> So, so I always had a vision to manifest a version, and I always know that I'm living it. Like, and so, because like a lot has happened in these past four years, from working for the city Detroit mayor's office, being appointed to the biggest district, to working for a judge as a graduate, as administrative assistant for University of Michigan, filling in as a lecturer, to now finishing my master's degree at University of Michigan. Like a lot has happened. Entrepreneur, right on. So on page ninety-five, vision is so important. The Bible says without vision, the people will perish, and perishing they are. Almost nine of ten young black and brown men that I have spoken to from our inner cities lack a vision, goal, or target for which they are aimed. And, you know, I'm doing research right now for this new book and whatnot. Two out of three black men right now in America live without their biological father. It's awful. One out of three Latinos, one out of four whites. A total of one out of three young males in the United States, no, 
of children, period, are living without their biological father. So anyways, the saddest part is that it is clear that no one has ever held such a conversation with most of these youths. Most of them grow up with no structure or stability in their lives. Subsidized housing rewards young black and brown women for two things, having as many kids as they can and not having a male in the household. If one searches just the slightest bit through our country's history, we witness that the slave masters were able to condition the female slave into being a good slave after breaking the spirit and body of the male in the presence of his woman and children so that they may see the brokenness mm -hmm. and thereby believe the brokenness. The condition of a society may be witnessed by the quality of the dominant male force in that region. In most traditional cultures, the male serves as a foundation upon which to build the family. Without a solid male foundation, a family incomplete in its structural foundation will invariably fall. The dividedness of our nation, governments, communities, neighborhoods, schools, homes, and sadly, our children is merely a reflection of the dividedness that exists within man within the men I now lived around and within me. That is so spot on. You have to meditate on that. And then I hope that the readers and listeners here will, will, will listen to that again and, and, and then open their eyes and say, is this a pattern of the world? It is a pattern of the world. Masculinity has been under attack because they're taking the worst examples of masculinity and generalizing it to all of us. But if we lose that, well, you talk about that, the whole hierarchy of God, I want to hear what you have to say about that. You know, I learned, I, I learned the hard way that, that when, you know, th there's a commandment that obviously it says, honor thy mother and father. And I, and I learned the hard way that there's not an asterisk on that. It, it's not if they don't do drugs. <laughs> it's not if your daddy doesn't have, uh, got a temper or raises his voice. It's not if they don't get divorced. It's not, you know, like honor them unless, honor them unless they get divorced. Honor them, no, it's none of that. It's honor thy mother and thy father. And you know why I learned that to be true, Marty? Tell it. Because the, the mother and father are the first image of authority for that child. Yeah. And guess what? I lost respect for my first images of authority. And that's dangerous. It's dangerous. So I lost respect for principals, teachers, po police officers, homicide detectives, everybody. Everybody. I lost respect for, for the entire so the, the fabric of society, I lost respect for. And that's what we have. We have a group of young men, about five to 10%, 10 that are seriously, you know, juvenile delinquency, that's, I'm, I'm, that's one of my master's classes at University of Michigan right now, right? Juvenile delinquency, I'm, it's, it's one of my last two classes, though, praise God. You teaching it? No, I'm taking <laughs> I'm just kidding you, I you could. I'm learning a lot by myself, but you know, it's normal. There's a bell curve in relation to the 14 to 26 year olds. Right. But, then, but then you have that, those, those extreme cases like I was. It's not normal what I did. It's not normal to do what I was doing. I, of course, I wasn't in a normal environment either. It's also, you know, it's not normal to have your sister's boyfriend, who is the man who, who's selling dope in the neighborhood, to be taking you to school and taking you to McDonald's at lunchtime. You know what I'm saying? You kind yeah. of become the cool kid. Right on. Real right. quick. So, you know, so, but, but with that being said, we have a group of young men right now that are so disconnected with the community and, you know, the stumbling block. And we can say the cornerstone of criminality or the stumbling block of the criminal, you know, the cornerstone of criminality is the inability to empathize. Yeah. Right? Define that for the listeners. Right? For you to be able to, like, for me to be able to sit there and at 16, obviously, I, I mean, come on, we know a 16-year-old knows not what they do. Yes. But nonetheless, 
for me to sit there and actually plot this out and think this out and not be able to understand what that's going to do to this man's family, right? You have grown, you have now you have 25 year olds, 26 year olds, right? That are still thinking this way. And so when you lack the ability to empathize and understand that you are a piece of the whole, yes. you, you, you can commit atrocities upon your very community. And that's what we see happen. And I understand that. And so understanding, like my, my connectedness to the source, you said, well, what are your, okay, I'm going to tell you something. Look, so I never read the Bible before, right? I was born and raised Catholic, went to Catholic school, so it was normal. I never read the Bible. It's a joke. It's a Catholic joke. <laughs> no, I, I get it. So anyways, I get it. So so on day four of solitary, I did 387 days contesting my felony murder case. 387 consecutive days because I had two trials. So anyways, on day four, they put me back in, in, in Oakland County, a healthcare cell. And I didn't realize, I didn't know it at the time, but the first three days, I was out there in the open inside a bullpen for healthcare. They had me separated because I was 16. I was tried, uh, charged as an adult, but I hadn't been convicted yet. Mm -hmm. So they had to keep me separated, right? So with that being said, they had me out in the open. I was on suicide watch. Anytime anyone's charged with such a heinous crime, su such a serious offense, mm -hmm. a capital crime, like they put you on suicide watch and they watched me for three days. So I didn't know all this process at the time, but that's what it was. So on the fourth day, they seen that I was fine. You know, the uh, sheriff, this older gentleman kept talking to me and whatnot. We were very patriarchal. Uh, you know, he was a grandfatherly, very very good man. I don't recall who it is, but he performed a service of being the good Samaritan. Okay. And he didn't have to. Did that get your attention, Mario? Was that one of the first times you ever saw that, do you think? Well, he was, a, you know, a deputy, so yeah, I guess so. But, okay. you know, I, I, it was tra a traumatizing time. I'm reflecting right now. I'm just remembering, you know, and I came from Miami, South Beach, and turned myself in. And you go from that to solitary, well, you know, Oakland County Jail charged with felony murder, armed robbery. So boom, day four, they put me in the back in healthcare where it's, it's isolated, but it doesn't have a, you can't see outside. There's no windows and there's a, a TV just outside the you know, a glass window. There was no bars. It was a healthcare department. And so they put me back there and literally uh, I broke, now I had opportunity to be a little private and I, I still hadn't eaten. I couldn't eat. I, yeah, I didn't I remember eat like three or four days. Couldn't. I, I take a bite of something, I throw up. And so I fell to my knees and, um, it was the first time I had prayed since I was about 12. I, I was praying like at 11, 12 for God to save my, the, the challenges that my family was going through. You know, my mom was going through a lot of challenges. And I, I begged God to save her. And eventually I stopped praying. And I got on my knees and I begged God to, to if I challenged him. I literally challenged God. I literally, I'll give you my word. I literally looked up and I said, I'm on my knees. And I said, if you save me, yes, I'll spend the rest. I said, I'll spend the rest of my life helping men like myself. And I told God, I said, if you would answer my prayers when I was 12, this wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. And literally, I'm on my knees at 16, day four of this entire 20-year journey right, in prison. So with that being said, I crawled up on my mat. I fell asleep. And then I woke up to a loud, yes. and I jumped. And I looked, and that I see that old guy walking away. Yep. And it was a Bible. I know. It's so beautiful. And That's a miracle. A Bible. So literally, I get on my knees. And I, and I started crying. I said, I take this as confirmation of our, yes. of our contract. Right on. So boom. So I'm thinking, you know, now mind you, 
Now, you can have Jesus in your heart, but you still got your granddaddy in your bone. And really, you know, I was saved from the streets, but the streets were still inside me. And in addition, I wanted to save a people, a group of men, you know, from this journey, but yet I myself hadn't been saved yet. Right. And how can I give what I don't have yet? Right. So anyways, so on starts the journey. So, you know, the first trial is a hung jury. Six that I was guilty, six that I wasn't. I played an alibi defense. You know, they offered me a deal to testify against my cousin, testify against his, his buddy who testified against me. And I did. I remember, you know, my mom and dad were behind. I had, I had literally one non-contact visit for 30 minutes a week for an entire 387 days. In the first few months, my, my mom and dad were getting along. Tragedy loves company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so they got along for the first few months. Then afterward, they, they stopped getting along. So I'd only see them every other week right. for a half hour. Mind you, 16 years old. No contact. Right? But that was good, though. I needed it. I needed it. I'm glad that they didn't send me to the Oakland County Juvenile. I needed to be broken and rebuilt because guess what? I, I took that as confirmation. I read that Bible three times. But in addition, every Saturday, a clergyman came from, from Prince of Peace Catholic Church, Jim Richards. And that first Saturday, he showed up. He was a, a deacon. He showed up and he said, you know, your mom begged the church to send somebody and this and that. And, you know, deacons and lawyers, you know, the attorney and clergy, they can have a contact visit. Excuse me. So he comes in, he has this little red book. And I still have that book today. I wish I had it out. And he says, I'm going to give you a reading assignment every week. He goes, and I'm going to bring you the, the, the Eucharist. And he says, and we're going to talk about what you read. And it was the book of Job. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this man came every Saturday. You hear me? Every Saturday he came. And I still, I, I try to reach out to him a couple times, but you know, he, I don't, I've never seen him since I came home. But he literally, he, he poured so many seeds into me. But then when I, you know, when I was found guilty, I became very angry. I didn't understand. I, I didn't understand how could God, how could you, how could you teach me all this? And then to send me to prison for 22 to 40 years, I didn't understand it. And do you, you know, Marty, today, as I was going to pick up a client out of Macomb, take him to see his pro agent, you know, I'm, I'm servicing a ceasefire Detroit 13 to 26 year. I'm outreach worker for uh, Southwest Detroit area for gang and gun reduction. I'm a service provider for Michigan Public Health Institute for juvenile prisoner reentry. You know, all these things. And now it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> all right, not like, like, like when Moses was sitting there for 40 years shoveling sheep dung. Right. Like when I was scrubbing toilets. When I first came home, I'm scrubbing toilets, and, and, and my partner, Cam, will call and say, what are you doing, Mario? I said, I'm shoveling my sheep dog. Right on. Mario, this is why this isn't possible without surrender. Oh, it's impossible. You got to die. That, that's, that's what born again means. Yes. To die to who you are, to become something greater. Right. You have to continuously surrender and die to who you think you are and become something greater. Yes. And I'll tell you what, that pride, that is what stops that from even getting off the mark. You know, I have no clue how much the creator has humbled me. Yeah, it's as, beautiful. As my gifts have taken me places where my character couldn't withstand. Man, let's talk a little bit about humility, because I just think that's the linchpin. Because I was proud, I was arrogant, all that stuff. What does it feel like for these people who probably aren't humble if they're like most of us, you know, or haven't been at certain times. What is this humility that's so important for the Christianity? It's a paradox, isn't it? You get strength through humility. How? What does it feel? What did it feel like for you? What's it feel like for you now? Well, I'll be honest with you. It's, it's, you we have to understand that we are egocentric beings. 
by nature. We're selfish. So it's not what does it feel like? Because trust me, at any moment, depending on what thought you're having, mm. right? it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's the old Native American tale where a grandfather is explaining to his grandson that within each man, and that's one man as well, in each, in each man, there, there are two wolves. One is an evil wolf, and one is a good wolf, and those two wolves are constantly at odds. The evil wolf is pride selfishness, greed, right? Every kind of, anything that would take you away from manifesting the best version of yourself. And then the, obviously the good wolf is the inverse of all that. And they're constantly at odd. And, and the grandson looks up at the grandfather and says, well, well, grandfather, which wolf wins? And the grandfather says, the one that you feed the most. Right on. That's right on. And, and what humility. With that being said, you know, a buddy of mine was in, in Hollywood and they're making a movie on him, you know, and, I'll respect his privacy, okay. but he tells me that he's seen some old billionaire Jewish guys <laughs> fighting to pick up pennies that they've seen on the run. Have you ever heard this? Of why old Jewish men, I'm reading a book right now, The Ten Commandments of Manifesting Money, and it is by a rabbi. You know, in, in the old tradition, the real old tradition, Hebrew tradition, the rabbi never took a salary from the synagogue. He was a businessman, right? Right. Right. So my buddy tells me, he asked his friend, why are these billionaire old men fighting over these pennies on the ground? And he says, because we believe the literal, the literal meaning of Jesus saying that, that it's easier to put a camel through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, the eye of the needle back then was like a port. It's kind of like you're going to Canada. You got to stop and there's a there's border patrol. Like to get the camel down through this port, you got to you got to get the camel to talk, to kneel down and push and push it down because the entrance way of the port, the camel can't walk, just walk through it. It's got to so it's easier to get the camel to get through there to humble itself than it is to get a rich man to. How did you learn to to get the truth out of Bible like symbolically? When 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 so much of Western Christianity and especially Protestants not me, it's seek, knock, and ask. It's constantly seeking and knocking. I firmly believe that you know when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. So at age twenty six, true story, it's in the book, I believe. Age 26, 10 years, you know, it's no coincidence that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm developing as a grown man, impulsivity, the frontal lobes of your brain. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've been in prison for 10 consecutive years, right? Three years solitary, like reading, reading books that were profound by the grace of God. I, I had the stick, which was prison, confinement, the accountability factor, but also I had the carrot, which was my parents, my mom and father. They never abandoned. They made sure that I got every book. My, my father said, I won't pay for your attorney. Cause I don't agree with what you did, but I'll pay for your education. So, you, you know what I'm saying? That remember, kind of, it's in the book. Right? So at 26, I started getting on my knees and, and, and like I'll, I'll put a towel up on, on my cell door so that they can't see what I'm doing. And I'll get on my knees and I'll start begging God and I will cry out to God. Now, mind you, when I got found guilty, I didn't ask for, for I didn't ask God for, for anything else. I, I would pray the Our Father and I'd ask for strength and wisdom. That's it. Like, like I've been shell-shocked. I'm not going to ask for anything specific again. <laughs> Except for what he wants you to have, right? Like, I'll pray for his strength. That's right. it. Right I'll on. I'll pray for strength and wisdom. That's it. I'm at our Father and strength and wisdom. So at 26, I, I, I found myself now being tugged at, right, by the Lord. And so I'd get on my knees, and I, and I would cry out, and I'd tell God, I, I said, I love you, but I hate every man around you. I said, teach me how to love you. Ooh, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. In, in addition, it's also I would pray for the Holy Spirit to use me to expand his kingdom, not mine. 
See, I'm a firm believer that we got it wrong. That mm -hmm. we're teaching people that they need to try to be good to get to heaven when I believe that the source that created and designed me, designed me to expand, and all of us to expand the kingdom of heaven on earth. That's By becoming right. the best version of yourself, right? That's, that, 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 that's what I believe, right? So with that prayer and praying for the Holy Spirit to use me over the next few years, I started running across like mentors in my life, phenomenal people that required a humbling of yourself. Like some of my greatest mentors, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I consider myself apostle of the risen one. And guess what? Some of my greatest mentors were and still are Muslim. For example, Morris Southampton of America, Nation of Islam. Brian X. Jones of the Nation of Islam was the one that trained me in prison. <laughs> Excuse me. But there's one thing about universal principle. They transcend religion. They transcend religion. I agree with that. The fruit tastes the same if it's the real fruit, right? Amen. Right on, man. Hey, there's so much I want to get to. I hope we can get do all this it might have to be a two-part i'm a, you know i don't want to keep you though so anytime you need to bail you tell me that okay so let's talk about a little bit about that one thing i know in my practice because you got to ask you know what culturally you know what is it do you have a faith because we know you know it, we can roll that in it can really help you but christians don't know how to forgive uh -huh. tell me about your experience <laughs> of because you just told me that you asked show me how to love and you can't love without forgiveness let's talk about that you know, you know, one of my greatest mantras always that, that he who is not sin throw the first one. Like he who is not, like he who is without sin, right? Like he, and, and so even when I'm criticizing internally, like we have to continuously self-assess. We have to perform the hard work of critical thinking, of introspection, of analyzing why do I feel this way? Like, like success doesn't only just require emotional intelligence. That's one fact. Not, not only just, you know, intellect, your intellectual approach and your IQ, it also requires your AQ, adaptability quotient. He who can, like, I'll put it in, in simple terms, a, a Bruce Lee quote, be like water, be like water. Ooh. He who can adapt best wins to life. That's what I learned. Three years of solitary confinement, 16 prisons, kicked out of nine of them. He who can adapt best wins. So with that being said, I was driving today and it's crazy you even said this. So this is the answer. So, so Marty, I'll give you my word. I was crying today. I was, the tears were flowing down my eyes as I was on my way to pick up a client who served 30 years from the age of 16, who knows not even, you know, what Wi-Fi is, let alone like how to get to his pro agent in, in 17 degree weather and he's 15 minutes away in the car. He doesn't even know bus stops. He doesn't know anything, right? Mm -hmm. 30 years from the age of 16. And I was driving and, I, and, and, and tears started coming up, down my eyes. And I realized that I came up on the sunrise and I was going east towards Port Huron. And I breathed out and I looked and I said, man, every time I get mad, every time I get mad, I said, I'm telling you that you got it wrong. Oh, man. That you got it wrong, God. And I realized that everybody in my life is a reflection in the essence of the creator. Every single one. And like when I'm getting, when I'm getting buffeted, when I'm getting buffeted by one of the ones close to me, and I think they're my enemy, that's the essence of God correcting me. Yes. Sparring Amen. with me. Amen. Like how dare me, how dare me be so audacious and have the audacity to think that I know better. So that's your answer to how can you forgive? How could you not? Yeah, I love it. Amen. How could, you, how could you be so audacious as to think that like, like, you got it wrong, God. And, and let me tell you something. In my book, Never Going Back, A Trauma-Formed Guide towards, towards, for a Successful Reentry, 
I changed the word God to the Hebrew translation, which is the source. Mm-hmm. With all due respect, I mean, yeah, I don't care what you call it, as long as you do call it. We call him by his name, and that is his name. He is the source. I mean, there's a, there has to be a source to all things. Yes. There has to be a source to all things. So my point is, like, it's interchangeable, right? So, so, so understanding that I go to the most basic of teachings, of manufacturing, of engineering. Like this phone, this Apple phone right here. Apple. Like, first of all, does the phone, does the Apple phone work because of Mario Bueno or because of its brand? Because of its brand. Okay, because it doesn't care about Mario Bueno. It cares about its product doing exactly what it was designed. And it, and it asserts it. It claims it does it. And guess what? Before it put that brand on there and it put the brand on there, it tested it. It made sure it can do this and do that and do this. Well, guess what? Then they put the mark on Well, I believe. Like, for example, Jeremiah 29, 11, I foreknew you before, when you were in your mother's womb, I foreknew you. I know the plans that I had for you, not to harm you. Like, I firmly believe that I was designed and put that mark on me, so therefore, I know I got to succeed. I know if I'm a product, it's not even about me. Like, like God's name brand depends on my success. Yeah, right on, right on. Get out of his way, brother. You know what I'm saying? Like, all I got to do is basically like know thyself, the Oracle of the Apollo Delphi, mm-hmm. know thyself, work, work the garden, which really means to manifest, to become. You work the garden, you become, you manifest who you are. If I manifest what I was designed to become, then all things, all resources, all provisions will chase me. They'll be provi- they're already provided for me along the path. Mm-mm-mm. So many people are trying to say, all I need is this, all I need is that. No, all you need is you, your genuine, authentic self to become who you are. And the provisions will be laid before you. Right. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Oh, man, I wish I could show you right now. On my, on my calendar, my first, my long-term, my short-term and long-term goals, the first one is always seek ye above all else, the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness. Yes. Righteousness means right standing. Yeah. But, the, but, but then once again, the crucial question is, how do you de- how do you define the kingdom of heaven? You know? And that's a rhetorical question. That's what we're talking. Like, how do you define it? And and for me, Victor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning that that was extremely influential in my in my thinking. You know, and and it's if you can have if you can have a why, you can get through anyone. And so, with that being said, how you believe in, in what you believe in 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 the, in the principles that you believe will, will fundamentally determine how far you go in life. How far you go, like. For example, the trauma that many people experience early in life, they're, they're enveloped and wrapped into norms, social norms and, and parental expectations. Once again, that was my biggest stumbling block in my, of not honoring my mother and father. But guess what? That was also, it was what catapulted, not, not caring what my own mother thought of me in, in relation to me coming home and being able to do what I do. Like, like you have to be able to challenge people who, who are challenging your, your purpose and your vision that you have for yourself, right? So, so with that being said, you know, in the circus, an elephant, right? You, you, if you, when you go to a circus, and we fail to remember that right now because of the, what we're going through, but you see an elephant, they got the big rope around their, their leg. And you say, well, man, they got a little stake in the ground. You, you, you walk by, you'll see the elephant trainer come and just pull the little stake out with one hand. And you're like, well, the elephant's so stupid. No, the elephant isn't stupid. The elephant is con- was conditioned since a baby because it couldn't pull the rope out as a baby. And guess what? Eventually it stopped trying. And so many of us, 
especially the people that I serve, we are those baby elephants that stop trying. Right on. Right. On. Learn helplessness. It's it's Seligman. It's a it's learning a, a way of being from the outside world. Like what I would teach my young men and, and what I teach those who I speak to is that your first job is unfortunately, I hate to tell you this, but you know, trying to forget everything you were taught. <laughs> Got trying it. to remember who you really are. So that's the world. Like we were conforming to the world and now you're a different creature and we're not going to conform to the world. We have to unlearn that. Be quiet. Get in line. Sit down. Shut up. You follow the rules. And guess what? That's all good. But guess what? That, that kind of attitude, that state of attitude is defined as a state of mind. That's not going to get you to, to, to fly above the storm as the eagles do. See, you always know an eagle flies alone. You feel me? It, it flies alone. It, it flies above the storm. It utilizes the, the winds and the, and, and the rains and the storm to, to, to propel itself even higher. And as us, we are compared to the eagle and to the lion. The attitude of a lion, it's the a, it's a smallest animal in the, in the animal kingdom in, in terms of its, its size and its structure and its mass. But, but it's the most powerful. It's the king because, right. because of his attitude. Right. right? So, so, but, but we are the kings of, of this world because of our imagination our ability to be able to create. And unfortunately, when we talk about the social norms, the, the institutions of the schools, the religious institutions, our own parents, I, I, you know, unfortunately, what they did was they taught you to believe that you aren't the eagle or the, or the lion. They taught you to believe that you, like, you are that little elephant with a little rope around you, and you, you are strong enough to pull that stake out of the ground. So you have to forget that, especially those who've undergone challenges in their early childhood. The tra it is traumatizing to be told that you can't do something and you are inept. Imagine if we were taught from the, from the day that we were born that you can, you can do all things, through, right? You can do all things. I used to put down little index cards and, and put them in my pocket. One of my verses was, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the first thing is to believe that I can do all things. Right? Right on. Hey, you know, on, on, on page 159, you made an observation, and I've been thinking about this for at least a year, like heavily thinking about this and seeing it all around. On 159, would you please read, after you talk about the art of war, the digesting craving books like The Power of Now, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because you make a very astute observation, and once you know this, you will see the world differently. So my pops, man, my dad, he... I'll be honest with you. So, you know, another reason why I wrote Never Going Back was because I put in there everything I wish I would know before I came home. Everything. And unfortunately, there's a learning curve when you come home from long, indeterminate prison sentences. And that learning curve is at the expense of those that you love the most. Mm -hmm. and, and I had to learn that what allowed me to succeed in there would invariably make me fail out here. Like in prison, you solve, you solve all conflict with violence and aggression, right? And, and, and you're taught to be dependent upon a system, but independent because you can't depend on anyone, right? To come to a world that requires interdependence for success, <laughs> right? I, I never knew how to ask for help. Like that's weakness. I would, when I came home, I would ask my own mother because I came home there. I came home to her house the first nine months. I'd ask her if I could get something out of the refrigerator at first, you know, for, for quite some time until she had to remind me, this is your place, mom. So anyways. Wow. So with that being said, um, I'm smiling because, you know, I see that this is a section of my father. He, so with that being said, you know, learning how to, to be interdependent out here was at the expense of 
unfortunately, I don't have a strong relationship right now with my mother and my and that side mm -hmm. of the family. Mm -hmm. And I look in the mirror instead of out the window and I look at what can I do different? And so, for example, that book is a byproduct of that, that reflection. You understand yes. what I'm saying? Like I'm trying I to do. I... I'm trying to save save that expense on people's, for the lack of a better term, balance sheets I'm, or, or, or income statements. I'm trying to save that expense of losing your familial relationships and ties after you come home because it, I think it, you, you, you become something that you were never designed to become and it takes a transitional process to realize that. Yeah, it's a process. Yeah, read that's beautiful. Okay, yeah, in the old days when I saw no light at the end of the tunnel, I would have spit right in the face and his face invaded him into a fight. Okay, but by then I had learned through both word and deed that you become that which you hate. Thus, I hate it no more. I learned that when you are quick to fight, life is quick to fight back. I was tired of fighting. My only reservation in signing the document was that I was not a gang member. But I understood how the system works. It's not what you know. It's what you can prove. Hand me the paper, I said with venom in my voice. The inspector grinned. That's it, man. Very ironic right now because I'm, I'm literally working for, I'm a contracted um, outreach worker for Ceasefire Detroit, which focuses on gang and gun violence. We're focusing on, we're, we're looking at prisoner reentry because that's serendipitous that you actually took this section out of it. How so? Because that at that moment, I was being threatened to be classified as a security threat group member, which would have, in prison, if you're a gang member, you would think that the opposite would hold true. That if you were a gang member, we would want to educate you. We, want to we would want to provide some sort of, excuse me, transformational programming to try to pull you away from those, those kind of beliefs and acts and thoughts, right? That's not the case. So what happens is when you are, so I was taking my last five classes to get my associate's degree in prison that my father was paying for. So if you're classified as a security threat group member, which I had influence and I was friends with all the heads. You know, I was, I, I was influential. I, I, I looked at mm -hmm. like, make, I, I made money in prison. You know, unfortunately, I, mm -hmm. I, I rationalized my criminal behavior. It's in that book. And so I came to that transformation experience. But if, if I had been classified at that moment as a gang member, which I signed the documents as a, a renunciation agreement, they were, they were accusing me of being a, a Latin count. So I signed it, but had I not, he threatened to send the packet to Lansing to his security threat group sergeant, and then they would not allow me to finish the five classes mm -hmm. and get my associate degree. And he, he brought that up. He says, you're a full-time college student, aren't you? He goes, well, you know. And then after I signed it, the book goes into, he asked me, so now who told you about your transfer? Because the, the, the inspector was trying to squeeze me for information because I had been given, I had been forewarned that I was being transferred up north. And so I had, uh, you know, I, I, I did a preemptive strike and I had a family member call up and ask, why is he being transferred? Knowing that they would stop the transfer. <laughs> right on. Right. I, I, that was a great part of the book. I mean, I, I, everybody has to read this. I mean, this is this book I is so good. That. Well, so, you know, this book is no longer a print, but a contract with God, which will be this book and a much, much more. Yes. So, Mario, I want to talk about pain because... I think you, I know you have the Christian message right. Some people misunderstand Christianity is that, oh, you just do this and then you get all these goodies and, you know, you don't suffer or whatever. And we're going to carry our cross. Talk to me about pain because it's all through the book and the transformational power of pain. You know, that was the original title, Broken, God's Transformative Power Through Pain and Purpose. Oh, really? Yeah, that was the original title. Actually, I, the manuscript was done 
the title is Broken, God's Transformative Power Through Pain and Purpose. Living these next four years, you know, by the grace and glory of God, I'm not broken anymore, right? And with that being said, I realized my entire life is about my contract with God that I made on day four. If you save me, I'll spend the rest of my life helping men like myself. So talking about pain, and I, I laugh often, like, like everybody wants to go to heaven, no one wants to die. <laughs> right. That hurts. Right? True, not true. Everybody wants to go, no one wants to die. Right. So, well, you know, like Jesus literally said, pick up your cross and follow me. Like his cross too heavy. All that, Jesus is going to take the pain away from you. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You're chasing it. Well, at the end, you know, at the end of the day, you know, everybody wants to shine bright like a diamond, but no one wants to go through that pressure. And then right. through that polish and then through that cut. You know what I'm saying? Everybody wants to shine bright like a diamond, like Rihanna says, uh, you know, in terms of becoming the best version of yourself. That's what Jesus talks about. Picking up your cross, dying to who you are. Like so much, like finding out why you're here and becoming that light into the darkness, you know? And, and, and in order to do that, it does take a purification process, like, like gold being purified. It takes that fire. It takes the fire of waking up every day to go to follow through with whatever you're doing. It takes the fire to continue through. It takes fire. And there's going to be moments that, you know, you don't feel the presence at all. There'll be years that like, like, for example, I, I firmly, I firmly believe that I did hear God whisper to me two weeks before. It was like the voice of thunder. Rick was in the housing unit. So I got pushed out of prison by the grace and the glory of God. Not even one recommendation left. Will you tell us about all the work and where we can find you, okay? Because you're doing so much. I just wanted to focus on this book because I love the story. and I know the new edition's coming out, but maybe you can come back on and talk about the recent release too, if you're, if you're willing. I won't put you on the spot on here, but you think about that. No, no, actually, no, no, absolutely. When those get finalized, yeah, we can definitely do that. So right now, you can look me at MarioFBueno.com. You can definitely get the, I would suggest you go there before Amazon to get the books. I personalize them. But in, right now, I'm, I'm literally doing business to business right now. I'm, I'm working as a service provider for Michigan Public Health Institute, which is in charge of juvenile reentry in the state of Michigan. So I'm helping with pre-release and post-release mentoring and, and guiding them through the reentry process. The reentry process is a challenging process, you know, especially for the juveniles, it's a completely different system. I'm also working with the adults right now. We're still looking. We have a housing program in which we've successfully helped offenders get off a four-year parole, which was uh, challenging, of a man who served 42 years. I'm also servicing Ceasefire Detroit right now, which is a violence prevention youth initiative in Southwest Detroit. That's the district I'm focused on for gang and gun reduction, gun violence reduction. Just started that, servicing them for, it's been about a month and a half, two months now. I'm full-time finished college graduate student at University of Michigan, wrapping that up. I'm solidifying agreements right now with different facilities to perform workshops. I, I do the one-on-one -on -one mentoring and, and, and I'm, I'm a service provider for that, but I feel that my, my giftings and my skill set you know, they take me back to when I was inside prison. I, I'm, I'm a teacher, and as, as my mentor has told me, Rick, uh, Rick Speck, he's the executive director of Lucking. He says, you're a professor, Mario, and you're a professor. And, you, and you, know, you, you know, you always want to put yourself around people who can see greater in you than you can see in yourself. So, you know, being mentored by Aaron Kinzel, how could I fail to mention that? Just as it tells you, I haven't eaten lunch yet. So this morning, I literally was servicing the Youth Justice Fund. So I'm, I'm a service provider for three different major agencies, 
The third one being the Youth Justice Fund, who is the, the, the aim and mission of, of the Youth Justice Fund is to uh, assist in juvenile lifers who are now being released in Michigan because of the change in the lifer law. So, for example, the man I picked up today and assisted, and I'm helping him do his fast food. You know, I meet a client where, where I got a 17-year-old who, you know, who's locked up at a placement that I, I'm able to go and meet. And then I have, a let's say, a 50-year-old who served, let's say, 35 years from the age of 15. That's, that's the spectrum I'm working from here, right? With that being said, the Youth Justice Fund focuses on juvenile lifers and their reintegration. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm wearing a lot of different hats. Yeah, there's something that everybody, you know, right, right now, follow Mario Bueno on Facebook and Instagram because if you're a little flat and you want to get like pumped up, like we got you in the gym, you know, and it's like, a, so if I'm feeling like I need to be elevated or maybe I'm having a pity party or something, that's, you're really great on video. So everybody go check out Mario's Instagram. And for Instagram, it's Mario underscore reform underscore expert. Mario Reform Expert with the underscores in between Facebook. But yeah, I, uh, I think that, you know, and, and I have to humbly say this. I do. I have to humbly say this because I'm empathetic at the struggle that the nation and the world has experienced in 2020. And so when I, when I say that 2020 literally was the best year of my life, I say it with complete humility. And I say it not to impress people, but to impress upon them that it, it, once again, it was God's glory. And God, glory to God just simply means God manifested himself in the situation. In this book, A Contract with God, it will be detailed on literal, like I worked for the city of Detroit mayor's office. They were grooming me to become, humbly say this, a senator or state rep. I resigned and jumped because of a juvenile lifer retreat. And, I, and in that retreat, I remembered why I was here. And so there's a lot of things, like I jumped with no net. <laughs> You know, right on, man. Faith. Uh, That's faith. Yeah, you know, everybody, you know, I, I'm be honest with you, you know, people want a testimony, but they don't want a test. You know what I'm saying? For real. Everybody wants a testimony, they don't want a test. And, and I'm gonna be honest with you, you know, like I have to, I, I've had to re remind my wife that, you know, with all due, you want stability, you want stability, but God wants faithfulness. Like, like, like having faith is the inverse of stability. Like having faith of, for example, Abram, take thy only son Isaac to a mountain that you will know to offer as a sacrifice. So that's the kind of faith you want. So like the source wants to have an understanding with you that you will sacrifice all things, especially who you are, who you think you are to become something great. Mario, I love you, brother. I love your work. Hey, and listen, uh, anything you need, man, I'll be in touch with you, okay? With, with... Please, let's do it. Okay, God bless you. God bless you, my brother. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.